This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Sri Lanka's president, Gotabaya Rajapaska, said he will resign on July 13th. Protesters demanding his resignation had set fire to the private home of the prime minister, Ranil Wickremesinghe, and earlier stormed the presidential palace. They are angry about the country's financial crisis, rapid inflation and shortages of food and fuel. Mr Wickremesinghe also agreed to resign. Two former health secretaries, Sajid Javid and Jeremy Hunt, joined the race to replace Boris Johnson as leader of Britain's Conservative Party and thus as Prime Minister. Nadeem Zahawi, the Chancellor, Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary and Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor, declared their candidacies too. Leadership contests can take months, but MPs have indicated they hope the rest of Mr Johnson's tenure is short. Polls opened in Japan for parliamentary elections days after Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister, was assassinated. After the killing, Fumio Kishida, Mr Abe's successor, had pledged to continue with the vote lest the country succumb to violence. Police admitted that there had been problems in the security provided to Mr Abe. Russian missiles and rockets struck several cities in the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine, causing widespread damage, according to officials. Serhii Haidai, a regional governor, described the attacks as true hell. The Ukrainian government asked residents in Russian-held territories in the south to evacuate as it prepares a counter-offensive. Earlier British military intelligence said that Russia is assembling reserve forces near the border of Ukraine. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, dismissed several Ukrainian ambassadors to foreign countries, including Germany, India, Hungary and the Czech Republic. Mr Zelensky said the rotation of diplomats was normal, but Andrei Melnik, Ukraine's ambassador to Germany, ruffled feathers by suggesting that Berlin was not being tough enough on Russia. Mr Melnik once called Germany's chancellor an offended liverwurst for refusing to visit Kyiv. America signed an agreement strengthening ties with Thailand as it seeks to counter China's growing influence in Southeast Asia. A day before, Antony Blinken, America's Secretary of State, chided Wang Yi, his Chinese counterpart, for Beijing's decision to stand by Russia during its invasion of Ukraine. The country's top diplomats met in Bali following the G20 gathering there. More COVID-19 cases were reported in Shanghai, threatening to send China's financial capital into another lockdown. Cases also increased in the southern city of Haiku, prompting officials to shut most businesses and public venues for a week. In Macau, the semi-autonomous territory and gambling haven where cases are rising, casinos will be shut for a week starting Monday. And word of the week. Revenge travelling. To describe pent-up demand for getaways after time spent at home in the pandemic. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Got to move on in Sri Lanka. Sri Lankans wake to a new reality on Sunday, celebrating the departure of their much-despised President Gotabaya Rajapaksa, who at last said on Saturday that he will quit after mass protests. Tens of thousands of demonstrators defying a police curfew 
had descended on Colombo, the capital. They then stormed the presidential palace which Mr. Rajapaksa had fled. The home of the Prime Minister, Ranil Wickremesinghe, was also set ablaze. But the president's exit and the departure of Mr. Wickremesinghe won't bring immediate relief. Sri Lanka is simmering because of years of misrule and an intensifying economic crisis. Inflation is soaring. Fuel has nearly run out. Food is getting harder to come by. Although terms could be reached with the IMF, economic salvation remains distant. Others will pay heed. As the cost of living soars in much of the world, public dissatisfaction will grow in many countries, leading to more protests, especially by city dwellers and the young. Events in Sri Lanka could be a harbinger of instability elsewhere. Is TikTok China's minion? Visit the cinema on Sunday and you may see a giggling crowd of smartly dressed teenagers queuing for Minions The Rise of Gru. The trend of watching the animated feature in formal wear has spread on TikTok under the hashtag GentleMinions. It is the latest demonstration of the influence of the social app, which passed 1 billion users in September. Yet TikTok's growing clout has some people worried. Its biggest market is America, but it is owned by the Beijing-based ByteDance. Could China's government manipulate what young Westerners watch? TikTok insists not. But as America's election cycle revs up, congressmen are complaining more loudly about what Ted Cruz, a senator, calls China's, quote, Trojan horse. TikTok is talking to American regulators about how to keep its local operations insulated from employees in China. A compromise is surely necessary. Without new safety mechanisms, Western countries might one day have to shut TikTok down. How to Double Global Wheat Production In the 1960s, the Green Revolution, which developed new, higher-yielding cultivars of wheat and rice, increased food production and saved a billion lives. Now, as climate change threatens food systems, another hunger crisis looms. Expanding farms is a poor solution. Agricultural sprawl simply hastens global warming. So what to do? Some have long suspected that the solution may once again lie in plant genetics. A paper recently published in Nature Food suggests that may be right. Using data on genes' effects on wheat characteristics, such as the size of leaves and tolerance of drought, the scientists used computer simulations to design wheat varieties optimized for different regions. They found these, quote, idealized varieties would drastically outperform current popular cultivars, potentially doubling the world's wheat supply. Eliminating this, quote, genetic yield gap, the researchers say, could save lives and help the planet. And with techniques like gene editing speeding up the plant breeding process, such change may augur a second green revolution. Withy Wine Though clear bottled white wines and rosés may entice the eye, they can give the nose reason to despair. Such bottles expose their contents to a phenomenon known as, quote, light strike, which can leave wine smelling and tasting of boiled cabbage, wet dog, or marmite. A team of scientists at the Edmund Mach Foundation in North Italy has learned more about how light strike affects certain wines. The researchers proposed that photons in light cause the deterioration of fragrant chemicals and the exposure of putrid ones. That would explain why the amount of beta-damascone, a molecule that provides notes of apple pie, quince, or flowers, 
decreased by 65% in Chardonnay and Pinot Gris after just one week in clear bottles. In green bottles, the decrease was negligible. On the other hand, quantities of a chemical known as 4-heptin-1-ol, which smells like fish or rancid oil, doubled in clear-bottled Chardonnay and tripled in one type of Pinot Gris. Clear bottles are clearly easier on the eye than the nose. Weekend Profile Xiao Jinhua, a tycoon in trouble with Chinese authorities The year before he was abducted by Chinese agents from his suite in Hong Kong, Xiao Jinhua was worth an estimated $6 billion. He made his riches brokering deals for some of China's elite political families, often helping to scoop up or offload valuable stakes in companies. But his connections to the ruling class also led to his downfall. Mr. Xiao, aged 50, is on trial in Shanghai, although the details of the charges and proceedings against him are secret. The entrepreneur grew up poor in the eastern province of Shandong, but in the 1980s won a spot at Peking University, one of China's leading schools. Amid the student protests in Beijing in 1989 that led to bloodshed in Tiananmen Square, Mr. Xiao remained loyal to the Communist Party and opposed the demonstrations. This probably helped win the trust of the powerful families who would support his business. His company, Tomorrow Group, grew rapidly and expanded across industries such as natural resources, property, and finance. It was no ordinary business. Mr. Xiao developed a reputation as a, quote, bagman for the elite, someone who brokers investments for politicians' relatives. In 2006, he was linked to the privatization of a large power company in his home province. The son of Zheng Qingdong, one of China's highest-ranking officials, was behind the deal. In 2013, Mr. Xiao brokered a deal to sell shares in a company owned by the sister and brother-in-law of Xi Jinping, the country's president. The next year, he admitted those connections to the New York Times. That may have been a fatal mistake. Perhaps sensing that the political winds could shift, in 2008, Mr. Xiao acquired Canadian citizenship. Shortly after the Times report, he fled to Hong Kong and took up residence in the Four Seasons Hotel. He was rarely seen in public and was often surrounded by female bodyguards. In early 2017, Mr. Xiao was abducted from his room by Chinese agents who whisked him back to the mainland. Tomorrow Group collapsed. Several of his assets, such as Baosheng Bank, required state bailouts. For the past five years, he has been assisting financial authorities unwind his crumbling business empire. Mr. Xiao's trial suddenly kicked off in Shanghai on July 4th, but little is known about it. The only official confirmation of it has come from Canada's foreign ministry. Given the dirt he has on China's ruling class, it is very likely that the proceedings will remain secret. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Shin Inagaki, Tokyo, Japan North America, Wanda Nagel, Kelso, United States Central and South America, Martin Whittle, Sao Paulo, Brazil Europe, Jonas Balsiunas, Kuanas, Lithuania Africa, Hasit Raja, Nairobi, Kenya Oceana, Peter Sloan, Glen Iris, Australia they all gave the correct answers of Copenhagen, Berkeley, Poland, Stockholm, and Tennessee. The connecting theme is that they all have elements named after them. 
Hafnium, after Hafnia, the Latin name for Copenhagen, Berkelium, Polonium, Holmium, after Holmia, the Latin name for Stockholm, and Tennessee. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alice Paul. When you put your hand to the plow, you can't put it down until you get to the end of the row. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.